Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. semi-naked, brutal, full of tattoos, with axes and swords, screaming and pillaging, setting things on fire, jumping from the longships to the shore and chasing monks, women, children and animals. Quite the image we have uh, for the Vikings, isn't it? This is quite the image we have of uh, the Norse people and the Vikings, isn't it? Well, Join me here to find out what these people cooked and ate. Hello, welcome back to another archaeogastronomical adventure. I'm your host, Thomas Dinas, and this is the Delicious Legacy Podcast, a podcast where we explore the flavors and the tastes of the past, of long-forgotten recipes and ingredients of almost all the major ancient um, civilizations. What did our ancestors eat and why? And what common foods are in the different continents and in the different countries around the world? Join me as we explore the most unusual recipes from the past. But firstly, let me remind you that you can find the podcast on Spotify, on Acast, on Amazon, on YouTube, on uh, Apple Pods, Google Pods, and so on. And as the podcast is free to download, uh, please uh, rate and review it if you can, and spread the word. Share it with three friends and with your family. And um, make sure that you watch uh, the amazing ancient uh, food recipe videos I've got on YouTube. These you'll find uh, by typing my name Thomas Dinas and The Delicious Legacy. So, anyway, let's go back to our food exploration of another era a thousand or so years ago. Fame has it that they were fearless and brutal warriors out of Scandinavia, raiding and trading. Who were they and what did they eat? Yes, we are talking about what we call today Vikings, Norse peoples from Scandinavia, roughly on today's Norway and Denmark mainly, but also Sweden, from the 8th until the 11th century. Peoples who were excellent uh, navigators and traders, and of course many other 
common professions of the time. And yes, indeed, they were uh, raiders too, some of them, not all of them. I guess the most adventurous they went out of Scandinavia to find their fortune. But yeah, first let's dispel with the myth of uh, Vikings and uh, horns and all that stuff. They never had horns. That's a very 19th century um, image uh, made for, a, for, an, uh, for an opera from a costume designer. Anyway, in the old Norse language, a vikinger was a person who was going to an expedition. And people back then were as mobile as uh, with many other ages that we've explored in past episodes. They knew about the things that they were out there and curious people were going out there to find out themselves. And of course, raids were also a very good business. Lo, it is nearly 350 years that we and our fathers have inhabited this most lovely land, and never before has such terror appeared in Britain as we have now suffered from a pagan race, nor was it thought that such an inroad from the sea could be made. Behold the church of St. Cuthbert, spattered with blood of the priests of God, despoiled of all its ornaments, a place more venerable than all in Britain is given as prey to pagan peoples. This is Alcuin, a senior advisor to Charlemagne, the most powerful king in Europe then, uh, in a letter writing to the king of Northumbria, expressing his shock and horror at the attack of uh, the monastery of Lindisfarne. It was early June of 793 when uh, that happened, and that uh, kick-started the so-called Viking Age. The woeful inroads of heathen men destroyed God's church in Lidsfarne Island by fierce robbery and slaughter. Writing in the next century, the chronicler Simeon of Durham wrote, They miserably ravaged and pillaged everything. They trod the holy things under their polluted feet. They dug down the altars and plundered all the treasures of the church. Some of the brethren they slew, some they carried off with them in chains. The greater number they stripped naked, insulted and cast out of doors, and some of them they drowned in the sea. Yet this image of uh, Norsemen and Vikings is only partially true, of course. As with everybody else, they were farmers and traders and, um, of course, many other professions of the time. Some of the most adventurous of them they left the lands of Scandinavia, to go for uh, trading and plundering and uh, raiding, which was part of uh, a good business back then. Viking Age cooking gear included large pots for boiling, hooks and spits for roasting and ovens for baking. Frying pans and warming griddles were also known. Eating utensils were the knife and the spoon. Some Viking Age spoons had fairly flat bowls, making them more shovel-like than modern soup spoons. Presumably, these were used to eat foods with a texture somewhere between roasted flesh, eaten of course with the help of a knife, and the broth resulting from uh, cooking this um, flesh. In the cold, harsh land of Scandinavia, mealtime was usually twice a day. The first being in the morning, 
and was called Jagmal, and when the day's work was done, in the evening, Natmal. The Norse society, the Norse culture, was mainly existing as an agricultural society, and the typical Viking diet was well-rounded and included an abundance of meat, vegetables, fruits and grains. Reindeer, goat, elk, mutton, poultry and fowl were readily available, but on occasion there was also beef, lamb and pork, and these were the preferred choice in a Viking household. The most common drink was ale, for men, women and children, and an alcoholic dairy-based beverage known as Syrah, which is a byproduct of uh, making skir, the famous um, um, yoga-type um, dairy product. Mead, which is a honey-based drink, and wine from grapes, uh, which was imported from places like uh, Germania or Francia, were both expensive and out of reach of most people. Some sort of uh, Scandinavian wines existed, and they were fruit-based, so something like apple wine and strawberry wine was occasionally uh, drunk, and of course, as we said, ale and syrah and mead, mead being the most uh, rare of all, because honey was the most expensive of these elements. Agricultural technology in Scandinavia was uh, fairly primitive during the Viking Age. The metal plough was unknown in Scandinavia, and the fields were cultivated using an art plough, also known as ard, a light plough with a wooden spiked share which cut the soil. This was pulled by an ox and steered by the farmer. The big long scythe we know uh, from um, most medieval representations of peasants didn't exist uh, as well, so the fields were harvested using small hand scythes. And um, yeah, I mean, okay, the, the winters were harsh and cold, um, but generally the people were toiling in the land. There were many farmers. Barley was the dominant crop overall, except uh, in uh, Jorvik, which is uh, modern-day York, where wheat was dominated. Uh, there was a period for about 100 years in the 9th century where Vikings had conquered um, the north of England and York was their capital and uh, they named it Jorvik. And the, the dominant crop was uh, wheat. But anyway, they used barley mainly to brew beer, but also to make porridges and stews and to a lesser extent bread. Uh, the availability depended on a variety of factors, such as the climate, of course, and soil conditions. Barley, for example, is more of a hardy crop, right? As we've seen in other episodes and about the beer and all that stuff. And um, can tolerate the colder climates of northern uh, Norway. Imports of grains or lentils and millet and spelt is also evidenced in the archaeological record, though one can assume that was mostly a high-status food. Indeed, um, talking about um, archaeological evidence, most of them, if not all, the vast majority anyway of uh, our evidence for Viking food and recipes comes from archaeological records and discoveries and not exactly, not much in terms of recipes had been written down and uh, survived um, to our age. Prior to the Viking Age, lion seeds were harvested for food. Lion seeds, along with camelina seeds, played a small part in the Viking Age diet. Most likely, the primary purpose of growing flax seeds was for linen production. Peas were also grown, but harvested after drying so that they could be used throughout the year 
and even powdered into pea flour. Bread was typically small, round and flat. Rye was used mainly and, and maybe wheat in some uh, leavened breads with white flour being obviously one of the most high status ingredients. Ribbed baking plates of Norwegian soapstone were found in Aarhus in Denmark. Uh, the ribbed or the raked lines serving as an early equivalent of a non-stick uh, tray. Meanwhile, the bread at Birka was found with small oblong loaves strung on a metal wire. Birka is a Viking Age city settlement which uh, is situated on the island of uh, Bjorko in uh, the Lake Malaren in uh, Sweden, obviously. And there, yeah, the archaeologists found uh, remains of the city and um, there is a lot of um, evidence about Viking Age uh, foods there. Also, another interesting thing regarding bread in uh, Norse uh, culture is pine bark bread, which basically something that the old Norse people ate and it's a tradition that probably came from the Sami people of northern Scandinavia. Sami people live in Finland today, where it's North Finland and uh, North Sweden and perhaps even in uh, Ro the Russian Arctic. Um, anyway, what they used for that bread it was not the hard outer bark of uh, the pine or the birch trees, but the inside, the green soft one. Fruit-wise, there were plenty of options such as crab apples, pears, plums, cherries, blackberries, lingonberries, bilberries, wild strawberries raspberries, elderberries, rose hips, gooseberries, and of course, many more. Uh, further north, uh, one could also find uh, cloudberries. The varieties available depended on the parts of uh, Northern Europe where the plants could grow. Some fruits, obviously grapes and peaches that were found in, uh, in some archaeological sites were more than likely an imported food. Cabbage, turnips, kale, leeks, onions, angelica, carrots, peas and broad beans are some of the vegetable crops grown in gardens or harvested in the wild. It wasn't uncommon to have cabbage garden alongside one's house, but it was likely more just cabbage that was grown there. Garlic as we know it, it was likely imported, while a close equivalent, the ramsons or wild garlic, which is pretty popular nowadays, could be grown in southern Scandinavia. Sorrel, which is a spinach-like leafy green herb, which uh, I grow as well in the garden, it's very easy to grow. It's uh, lemony and very sharp in taste. was found in places like Lerje in Denmark, alongside with broad beans, hazel and peas. Obviously, mushrooms were also grew in the forest, in the forests of uh, Scandinavia, and they must have been used um, as part of uh, the diet of the foragers and hunters. Meatwise, all evidence suggests that cows were only eaten after they had stopped giving milk. So the same can be said it's true for sheep uh, with their wool and goats. Skir uh, is um, a traditional and popular yogurt type or cheese type um, dairy product from Scandinavia. It does indeed have the consistency and flavor that reminds many people of yogurt. However, skir is made much like cottage cheese or cream cheese, using rennet to congeal the milk solids and allow the whey to be separated. Thus, the Swedish name which translates as fresh cheese. True skir is made with unpasteurized buttermilk. The fresher the buttermilk, the better the results will be. In Iceland, skir is properly made by adding a little skir to the new mixture which inoculates the new buds 
with all the special cultures that make up the flavor of skir. A similar result may be obtained elsewhere by adding sour cream to the mixture. I'll be back after this short break. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. My name's Dr. Neil Buttery and I'm host of the British Food History Podcast, a podcast that you, as a fan of the delicious legacy, might be interested in. I explore British food and its history in all its glory, with interviews with special guests, recipes, reenactments, and tracking down forgotten recipes and hyper-regional specialities. Previous topics include medieval eels, 18th century dining, curry, London street food sellers, breakfast, and the good old Yorkshire pudding. Search for the British Food History Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the delicious legacy. Cheers! Today's episode is brought to you with the welcome support of Malbin Greek, UK's leading Greek delicatessen, supplier and distributor of premium Greek produce. Whatever you need, Malbin Greek has you covered. You can shop online and have the divine and delicious goods delivered to your doorstep across the UK or you can visit the shop at Art17 Apollo Business Park, Lucy Way, SC16, 4ET, Bermondsey, London. Malby and Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Most meat dishes came from wild game that was hunted, such as rabbits, wild boar, elk, deer, seabirds, bear, reindeer, and squirrels. Pigs were also kept as a meat source, and horse meat was also eaten only rarely, of course, because horses were highly prized and very, very expensive. Obviously, all the farmers and people living on the farm will be familiar with um, butchering their own livestock, while um, town folk will have to visit the meat market. In Aarhus, in Denmark, uh, there was one such known meat market, just seven kilometers from the edge of the town. Analysis on cow and horse bones indicate that uh, the slaughter typically occurred after an advanced age, as we said, where the animal could no longer serve its purpose in the farm or to give milk and so on. 
There's no evidence of wild game there. Swedish culinary archaeologist Daniel Serra, which uh, has a book about Viking food, mentions that fresh meat would likely have been consumed at festive occasions, while preserved meats would be the norm for most of the year. I'll post some links on my Patreon page with more information about this, so please check there. The way to preserve meat includes the familiar ones like smoking and salting and drying or packing it in whey. While most meats were cut into small bites for the stews, larger cuts for festive or upper-class meals could have been roasted on a spit, for which a few examples exist. Now this uh, whey pickles, it's a traditional Icelandic way of storing food, uh, and meat of course, which is uh, to submerge it in whey. As whey is highly acidic, the environment is far too acidic for meat to decompose. Instead, the proteins may break down somewhat, as when marinating. In order to do this, it is important that the meat is completely submerged into the liquid, so that no oxygen reaches it. Although it's almost uh, impossible to know if this method was in use already in the Viking Age, whey seems to have played an important role in the cuisine at the time. The storage methods available at the time would not have posed any problems, even if the clay vessels would require constant refills of the whey. A tantalizing contemporary source of information about the Viking Age or late Iron Age can be found through many runic inscriptions. Some of those even refer to food in one way or another. Now, runic is a writing uh, system which was developed in um, Northern Europe, in Germanic and uh, Norse um, uh, peoples. And um, there are quite a few of them surviving around. Among the earlier inscriptions, which uh, date back before the Viking Age, as we said, some examples found uh, include the words alu or laukas, ale and lick, respectively, either each word uh, by itself or in some combination. As they appear on um, different objects that are not generally associated with food, the meaning of these inscriptions is difficult to interpret. There's another more mundane inscription, dated uh, to the late Viking Age this time, that's found on a rib excavated in um, Sweden, stating that the king is most generous with food. This kind of statement is rather common, though usually carved as an epitaph over the person to whom a runic stone has been erected. In such cases, the inscription would state something like so-and-so was free with food and an eloquent speaker. Unlike me. Norse people had three major feasts per year. Sigurblot was held in late spring, Vertablot in late summer and Jólablot in midwinter. Blot means sacrifice or offering, and a horse was sacrificed at the start of each feast. It would then be roasted over an open fire on a giant spit. Other animals, including deer, pigs and cattle, might be roasted too. Stews, vegetables and breads were served on the side. A feast sometimes lasted 10 days or more. Singing, dancing, drinking and telling stories of the old gods were recited throughout the long nights and people wore the best clothes they had for these feasts. A typical Scandinavian delicacy is a dish known as lutefisk, and for centuries Scandinavians prepared it. It's a dried white fish, typically cod, prepared in, in lye, which is a 
caustic substance, basically, which can dissolve um, bodies. And basically, janitors uh, use it to <laughs> clean uh, uh, clogged drains. So this is a very unique technique that the Vikings uh, used. And um, we have to thank them. Basically, with this technique, they rehydrate the dried fish in alternating containers of water and lime. There is the origin story of this recounting a Viking raid on a group of fishermen who had left their coat out to dry on, on uh, birch rocks. The raiders started to burn everything, even the fish, but then a rainstorm swooped in. The scorched seafood soaked in rain puddles with uh, that mix of uh, birch ash for months until another group of Vikings found the cod and cooked up a feast. <laughs> of course, that's a fanciful story. Uh, probably the more mundane truth is that um, they used um, this method of uh, drying and rehydrating fish to get over the lack of uh, salt, lack of local deposits of salt that's used in other parts of Northern Europe for drying and preserving fish. As a result of uh, this lengthy period of soaking in water and lye, the cod takes uh, on a jelly-like consistency. If not prepared by an experienced chef, it will also emit a pungent ammonia-like aroma, very similar apparently to the Icelandic uh, dried fermented shark. I haven't tried it, so I cannot really uh, comment more upon it. But yeah, the flavor, however, is subtle and cries out for condiments. So Norwegians, to this day, they use traditionally melted butter, so they the lather it with melted butter, while the Swedes uh, add white sauce. I'll post some links on my Patreon page with more information about this, so please check there. Now I have a couple of very nice recipes for you for from the Viking Age. Um, so one is uh, using hare or rabbit, which is a um, typical um, game of the era. It can serve up to six people, but I think, but if you're four hungry lads, then um, it's going to be good enough uh, for you. So you'll need some uh, lard, like 50 grams of uh, lard, let's say, or some other fat of the year, uh, about a kilo and a half of uh, hair or rabbit, um, jointed, about half a kilo of uh, washed and trimmed leeks, slice them thickly, six cloves of garlic, chopped finely, about 175 to 200 grams of uh, pearl barley or some oats, three and three quarters cups of water, about um, Three tablespoons of um, of crab apple vinegar, which of course, if it's difficult to find, or any find some cider vinegar or something like that, or white wine vinegar will do. But obviously, that's not going to be as authentic as uh, crab apple vinegar. Um, a couple of bay leaves, some salt and um, uh, some sage leaves, and then um, I would um, obviously pepper would be nice to put, but for reason of authenticity, perhaps you would like to use something like um, uh, some juniper berries, dried juniper berries crust, and um, yeah, melt the butter or the, the other, the lard, whatever fat is in a frying pan, in a heavy pan. Fry the meat with the leeks and the garlic until the vegetables are slightly softened and the meat is brownish. 
add the barley, water, vinegar, bay leaves and the seasoning, break the pot to the boil, cover it and simmer it gently for at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half. You'll see when the meat is really tender and falls from the bone. Add uh, the sage near the end and let it cook for a few more minutes, like five, seven minutes simmering. And then taste it, adjust uh, the, um, the seasoning if you want some and serve. Another lovely recipe from the era is um, small bird and bacon stew with uh, hazelnuts, uh, which were a valuable source of um, energy and food source at, at the time. So get um, six fatty thick rasses of bacon, chop them roughly, uh, three cloves of garlic, get um, four pigeon breasts or like four small game birds, um, something like um, quails perhaps, 250 grams of mushrooms, some wild forest variety of mushrooms is ideal, some 75 to 100 grams of hazelnuts, toasted and ro roasted or, or toasted and then chopped, 300 milliliters of um, some real ale, 150 milliliters of uh, water, two bay leaves, of course salt as much as you need, some black pepper, as, but as I said earlier, is not exactly authentic, and six coarse slices of uh, rye bread or brown bread. So fry the bacon with the garlic until it's lightly browned in a heavy casserole. Add the birds and brown on all sides. Add the mushrooms and the nuts. Continue to cook for a couple of minutes. Then add the ale and the water with the bay leaves. Bring to the boil, cover and simmer very gently until the birds uh, feel cooked and falling off the bone. Remove the birds from the, from the juices. Cool the juices completely and remove any excess fat. And serve um, the whole bird on top of uh, the piece of bread with plenty of the juices and uh, the rest of the beads and some um, salad of uh, wild uh, greens as an accompaniment. Now there's another recipe, uh, a chicken stew with beer, which comes from uh, the Viking's Feast and that will give you a serving for four, at least four people, I think. Um, so you need a nice organic chicken, three to four carrots, if we want to keep it uh, authentic, let's try and find some um, white carrots or some yellow carrots. Orange carrots is a later, later invention. Three yellow onions, uh, one large turnip, about one and a half teaspoons of salt, some black pepper, thyme, uh, six to eight whole juniper berries, and yeah, get yourself uh, one bottle of dark beer which is about 340 milliliters. So chop the chicken into eight pieces, peel and cut the vegetables into pieces, fry the chicken in some uh, fat, about five minutes on each side, season uh, with salt and black pepper and place it in a pot, add the vegetables, the herbs, thyme and juniper and beer, and let boil for about 30 minutes or until the vegetables are tender and serve the dish with bread. So this is it for today, a short introduction to Viking age food and recipes. We will uh, delve into more exciting elements of uh, the Norse cuisine later on this year with, um, with more in-depth Viking stuff, uh, where we're going to go and explore the influence of the Norse 
around um, Europe and the Mediterranean, of course. Yeah, we'll see the Normans uh, of uh, France and Sicily, the Rus, the uh, Varangians of uh, Constantinople, and of course Ireland and Iceland and Greenland. Remember, if you want the episodes early and ad-free, to subscribe to Patreon for $3 a month. Thanks for listening. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. See you soon for more archaeogastronomical adventures. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.